if Wiley Johnson would come and join me here, he is going to be reading our scripture passage this morning. We're actually going to look at the whole book of Esther. That should terrify everyone who just heard that. Um, we are going to look at the whole book of Esther this morning, um, but this is our focal passage, and so I'm going to ask Wiley, if you wouldn't mind, if you would read it for this morning. It's, uh, it's out of Esther chapter 4, and it's going to be verses 12 through 17. Leading up to this passage, Mordecai has reached out to his niece, Queen Esther, and asked her to appeal to the king for the safety and deliverance of the Jews. And at first, Esther is reluctant because she fears she may be put to death. So starting with verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Thank you, Wiley. Well, he's one of our strategy coordinators. He helps us in the area of Prague and the Czech Republic. I chose him this morning because of that, because it just reminds us that we have missionaries on the field, even right now, and even across the oceans into London and up into Halifax, and even returning this morning from Alaska. So we're just thankful for the way that God moves and works, has partnered us with others around the world for the sake of the gospel. So it's a great reminder this morning to see Wiley. So thank you, Mr. Wiley. Six years ago when I first arrived at Taylor's, someone asked me, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? <laughs> it's quite a question. You know? Wonder what's behind that. My answer was, absolutely. I cannot, and I know this is a double negative, it's for emphasis, I cannot not believe in the sovereignty of God. In the challenges of life, or what my wife and I call on the dark nights, I don't hold on to God's sovereignty, but God's sovereignty holds me. I rest in the belief that God is all-powerful, and in control of all things, that He is good, and that He is working all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. This morning, we are looking at the story of Esther. I know many of you have probably read or heard Esther before, 
maybe possibly even seen Esther. I think there's a movie about Esther. For me, I, I have seen it because of our children, because VeggieTales has Esther. And so for me, Esther, I'm not really sure what vegetable she is. Maybe a lock. I don't know. Um, or something. I don't know what she is. She's like a, an onion. But that's what picture comes up to my head. But we're all, many of us, very, very familiar with the story of Esther. But for those of us who are not familiar with Esther, I'm going to as quickly as possible run through the story of Esther. <laughs> Here we go. Story begins with King Ahasuerus, the king of Persia, in the third year of his reign. He is in Susa, the citadel, and he has thrown a great feast in expectation of a great military victory over Greece. During the feast, his queen, Queen Vashti, defies his command to come into his presence, and the king dethrones her as his wife. Esther and Mordecai are Jews from the tribe of Benjamin. They are cousins. Esther is being raised by Mordecai as his daughter. They were taken into exile from Jerusalem by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar and are now still in and under Persian rule under King Ahasuerus. The king now desires, after years of no wife and military campaign, a new wife. And so, therefore, there is a search, literally across the empire, for a wife for the king. And so all the young maidens are brought into the king's harem, and along with them, so is Esther. Out of all the young ladies, Esther, the Jewish orphan, finds favor with the king and places, and he places the royal crown upon her head. Esther becomes the queen of Persia, and Mordecai is provided a place in the king's gate. Within the gate... Mordecai then hears of an, a plot to kill the king. He reports it to Esther, who reports it to the king. The king verifies the account. The men are caught. The men are hung. The, the event is chronicled into the chronicles of the king, but nothing is done in thanks to Mordecai. Haman, prominent official, raised to power by the king, now worthy of honor of all those in the kingdom, but Mordecai chooses not to honor Haman. And because of this, Haman becomes furious with Mordecai and not only seeks to end his life, but to literally annihilate every Jew, women and child. Haman picks the day to approach the king with his evil plot by casting the lots Literally, from month after month, from the first month to the twelfth. And then he goes into the king, shares his evil plan. The king gives him the seal and he creates an edict that goes out across the land for the, on the month, in the month of Adar, on one day, all the peoples of the Jews will be annihilated. Mordecai hears of the edict and like many other Jews, rips his clothes in mourning, sits down in ash, and cries out to God for mercy. Mordecai challenges then Esther 
to enter into the presence of the king and beg for the lives of her people and warned her that even if she does not, that the relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from another place, that her and her family will surely perish. Mordecai shares his belief with her and encouragement that she could possibly have been brought to such a position in such a place for such a time as this. Esther calls her people to fast and then goes into the inner court unannounced, which is punishable by death. The king shows favor to Esther, extends his scepter, which is the scepter of life for her, and then asks for Esther's request. Esther does not give her request, but invites the king and Haman to a feast. During the feast, the king asks again, Esther, what is your request? Esther does not give her request, but invites the king and Haman to another feast that will be held the next day. As Haman is leaving the first feast, he sees Mordecai again, not showing honor. His anger is enraged and decides, I will build a gallow in which I will hang Mordecai. And he goes and plans that the next morning he will go into the king and ask for permission for the life of Haman, I mean for Mordecai. During the night, the king cannot sleep. So he called, that was me last night, by the way. During the night, the king could not sleep, so he calls for the chronicles to be read, and they are open to the incident years previous where Mordecai revealed the plot to kill the king. The king realizes his mistake. He had never honored Mordecai for his loyalty, and he desires to honor Mordecai, who saved his life. And at that very moment, Haman enters the court. He must have heard because he said, who is this in the court? He said, it's Haman. He said, bring him in. The king asked, Haman, what, would, what should I do for the man in whom the king desires to honor? Haman, of course, thinking that it might be him, comes up with an elaborate, wonderful plan to honor the king, the person whom the king desires to honor. The king then tells Haman, Go and do this for Mordecai. Can you imagine Haman? Haman then has to literally walk through the streets, guiding Mordecai at the top of his voice, going, this is what is done for the man in whom the king desires to honor. Ashamed. Returns home. But as soon as he returns home, they're there to take him to the next feast. He's whisked away. He goes to the feast, and during the feast, again, the king asks, Esther, what is your request? I will give you even up to half of my kingdom. Esther says and reveals to him the plan and the plot to annihilate not only her, but all of the Jews. The king is enraged, and he says, who, who would do such a thing? And she says, it is he, Haman, the evil and wicked Haman. Haman begs for his life. The king walks out in anger, but the king, the, Haman is begging for a life, even falls down on the couch where Esther is as soon as the king returns. He sees Haman literally own his wife. He says, would he even do this in my presence? His face is covered. He's taken and hung on the same gallows in which he was building for Mordecai. 
Mordecai is lifted, literally second in charge of the kingdom, granted the authority to write a new edict that the Jews would have the right to defend themselves on that day from anyone who would come against them as their enemies, literally giving them the edict of life. The Jews do exactly what the edict says. They live. Their enemies are conquered. The The people celebrate with feasting. And Esther calls for this feast of celebration, the Feast of Purim, to be celebrated year after year from generation to generation. Still being celebrated today in the remembrance of God's deliverance of the Jewish people from the plot of evil Haman. That's the story of Esther. For the Jews, the story of Esther explains the origin and purpose of this annual feast and the celebration called Purim. In this celebration, they remember each year God's powerful deliverance of their people from annihilation under the wicked Haman. It is named Purim after the pure or the lot which Haman month after month would cast to determine when he should approach the king and implement his plan for the annihilation of the Jews. But the story takes on a greater meaning when the reader begins to see, in contrast to Haman's belief in fate, the invisible hand of God working all things for good for his people. And even though God is never mentioned In this story, there is an understanding that God's sovereign, invisible hand is working in all things, even the casting of the lots. For even in the Scriptures, in Proverbs 16.33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is wholly from the Lord. Ephesians 1.11 says that God accomplishes or brings about or is working all things according to the counsel of His will. No event, Grudem says, no event in creation falls outside of God's providence. First point this morning is that we see in Esther that the strong hand of of the Lord is working to fulfill His will and His purposes. I might add one extra word to that. I think I took it out, but it's the strong hand of the Lord is always working to fulfill His will and His purposes. As we look back at the story, if you'll give me the liberty, um, I've seen this done by a number of people, and I've kind of brought those together and made my own. But as we look through the story of Esther, we start to see the hand of the Lord orchestrating every single event that looks as if it may be coincidence, but in light of the truth, it is God moving and working. Esther and Mordecai, Jewish cousins, just happen to live in Susa. The king happens to show favor on Esther over all and literally hundreds of other young ladies and chooses her, Esther, the Jew, the orphan, as his queen. 
Mordecai happens to be sitting in the gate at the very time that a plot to kill the king is being discussed. And when it's made known to the king, it just happens that he is not honored, but it's chronicled for him to read later. When no one is allowed to enter into the king's presence unannounced, Esther, again, just happens to find favor with the king, and the golden scepter is extended to her, allowing her to live. Esther just happens to delay her request before the king for a whole day. The king just happens to not be able to sleep and happens to read the chronicles at the exact place where Mordecai's revealing of the plot to kill the king is written. It just happens that Haman enters the king's court at the very moment and becomes the one who must honor Mordecai. Haman just happens to be hung on the gallows meant for Mordecai, and then Haman's house just happens to be given to Mordecai. God's people were saved. Once we see the effects of the invisible hand of God, we can agree with Mordecai and affirm that God was working for the relief and deliverance of his people. And that if Esther would have remained quiet, surely God would have brought relief from another place. For God was moving and working for the deliverance of his people. We can now, looking back, affirm and agree that Esther truly was brought, brought, placed in her position in that place at that time. The story of Esther, the whole story of Esther is a strong confirmation that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It also should remind us of the times we have been aware of God's hand working in our own lives. We probably or might could not have seen them at the time, but looking back, we see God's hand moving through every relationship and every event and every person in our lives to orchestrate his purposes and his plans. I remember as I was doing this, you know, your mind just starts to look back and go, God, where have you been working? What have you been doing? God, I see it in Esther. God, your hand is moving and working and orchestrating on behalf of your people, Lord. I start looking back over my own life and I say, oh my goodness, Lord, where have you been working and moving and directing? I remembered, I remembered a number of them. I'm not going to share all of them with you and I know you're thankful. I remember how God worked to direct me to a particular place overseas. I was a young man, still a young man. I was a young man, and I was single. And uh, I was at school. God had directed me to school, and I was preparing at a particular place. And in that program... They had, they had already chosen an area of the world, Central Asia, but there were many places in Central Asia. And I remember praying, oh God, what place and what people group? When? In God's providence, I ended up spending an extra year at school. 
I don't know why. You know, thanks, Lord, for that one. But I stayed in whole another year at school, and, and it just kind of delayed. Just, but God's providence delayed. So it changed the whole landscape of where I would go. I remember praying and seeking, and at first my heart was like, I don't want to go alone. I don't want to be by myself, Lord. And I had great friends who were going to a, an area of that same place, and I said, I'll go with them. But as we started walking down that road, it became more and more evident in my heart, that is not the place that God is calling me. And through professors and projects and even a roommate, even a roommate, God started revealing this particular place and these particular peoples. That roommate that year, his dad, here in South Carolina, in Spartanburg, went on a South Carolina trip because they, South Carolina had partnered that year with that people group. So he comes back and he shares all of his stories. And I'm going, oh, my Lord, you are confirming and directing. He even brought slides. Do you remember slides? Those are awesome. We were sitting in the dorm, like, you know, you're like, that's amazing. So, yes, it was awesome. It was when I was a young man. So God was directing and moving in all of these things. And I remember I the, the area was a, what they classified as security three, high security area. And so I, I couldn't tell anyone, but I told my mom and I told my dad, you know. And my mom, out of love and protection, told a friend, thanks, mom. No, she had permission. She had permission. She told a friend. It was a nurse that worked with her in the Greenville Hospital System right down here, right downtown in Memorial Hospital. Because she prayed with her. And she said, I want to be able to pray with her specifically for you in this place and these peoples. I had come home from school one, one weekend. I was about to return back to school on Monday morning. And all of a sudden, my mom calls from work and says, hey, before you leave, can you stop by work? You know, I was like, Mom, i got to get back to school. And she's like, no, I need you to stop by. Remember the nurse? Well, in her hall, there's a guy from your people, like that place. He's there. I want you to come and meet him. What's the chance, right? The one lady that my mom shares with and the one hall that she oversees, there's a person from that place on the other side of the world on that day. I was like, okay, God, I'll go by there. So I went. I remember, I remember, oh, goodness, I remember. I remember walking in, the nurse, you know, I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, she leads me down the hall. I remember the door was kind of ajar. I remember her opening it, and she led me in. And I remember walking into the room, and I remember just standing at the edge of the bed. And I remember looking into the bed, and there was a man, an older gentleman, laying there, and there was a man kneeling to his side. I remember them looking up, and as they looked up, I just introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm, I'm Jeremy, and I'm going to this place to work among these peoples. As soon as the words came out of my mouth, and then they just broke. I mean, weeping, weeping uncontrollably. So much so that I didn't stay, because <laughs> I knew he had a heart condition. So I was like, okay, you know, so I just kind of, that was good. I'm probably say that, mom, thanks for that one. You know, I just left. Months later, months later, arrive in that place, new place, sitting second day on a little van, <laughs> driving out 12 hours to this place that we will live in this village. 
God had brought another family to join. So I was not alone. God had brought another family. And the lady that was driving was driving. She was part of the team, and she was driving us out there. And we were somewhere in between where we just came from and where we were going to live. And let me tell you, it was desolate. I'm in the middle of absolute nowhere. As we're driving down this road, she just kind of looks over at me, and she goes, I think you met a friend of mine. I was like, really? And she said, yeah, he was in a hospital in Greenville, South Carolina. I was like, I cannot get away from this. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry he died. You know, no. She said, what? And I'm like, I don't think that went well. I was like, and I have just conveyed the story to her again. I told her everything. And she's like, you walked out? I was like, yes, I walked out. You know, and she's like, he, you never found out what was going on? I said, ah, no. And she's, let me tell you what happened. That man and his wife had worked for over 20 years in another country and felt God calling them and moving them to an unreached people in an unreached place. They had moved there to reach those people. And when they got there, his heart gave out. And he had to be brought off the field. He went in the hospital, and on that day, that day, moments before you stood in front of him, he had gotten the phone call that he would never return to that place again because of his condition. He and the other man, which was a colleague, were praying, praying and asking God, who, God, will take my place amongst that people for your glory? And the moment they opened their eyes, they saw you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Should have prayed harder. <laughs> you know, you got to pray specific. You got to do it. You know, if not, you just get this kid. Hey, I'm Jeremy going over there. You know, God, right? God working and orchestrating and moving. Esther reveals to us and reminds us that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You can take confidence and comfort and assurance today that God is moving. Yes? Number two, <laughs> I'll go quickly. The strong hand of the Lord is working through human decision and action. Wayne Grudem says, we are responsible for our actions. Somehow the sovereignty of God and the human decisions and actions work together. God has made us responsible for our actions, which have real and eternal significant results. He uses an illustration from Joab where Joab says, be strong, let, our show, let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. But then immediately, in the very same sentence, he says, And may the Lord, may the Lord do what is good in our sight. A firm belief in God's sovereignty should not discourage us from action, but move us to action. Esther's actions can be an example to us 
They're not prescriptions, but they are good descriptions. When we find ourselves in situations that whether they are dark nights or the way forward is uncertain or perhaps the way forward is dangerous, we see a good way to walk. Number one, I'm just going to do these quickly. Listen to the words of wisdom and warning from those around you who are faith-filled and trustworthy. We all, every one of us, needs a Mordecai sometimes. Fast and pray with others for wisdom and for courage. I say wisdom because I think God granted to Esther wisdom of when to know to ask for the sake of her peoples. Because she didn't do it in the court and she didn't even do it in the first feast, but she did it in the second feast. So ask for wisdom and for courage because I think Esther showed great courage when she stood in the inner court without ever having been invited there, nor having seen the king for 30 days. But she dressed in her royal robes and stood in the court, waiting to see if the king would extend his scepter to her. So fast, pray, wisdom, and courage. And then third, be obedient to what God is or has called you to. Perhaps, for such a time as this, you have been brought to your position or to your place or to this place. And fourth, trust God for the results. Possibly the hardest one, right? <laughs> trust God. Esther's words I'll go to the king. And though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You must trust God. And if it goes well, as you were expecting, then you say, My God is working all things together for good. And if it goes unexpectedly, you still say, my God is working all things together for good. Esther for us today <laughs> is a reminder that the sovereign hand of God, though invisible, is working to accomplish His will and His purpose. And therefore, I encourage you, listen, fast and pray, be obedient, and trust God. Lord, our prayer today is, Lord, not our will be done but yours <laughs> in us, in our church, as it is in heaven.
Lord, your will be done in us, in our church, as it is in heaven. And we will trust that, God, you are working all things together for good. Amen.